you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 will be in verses 15 through 19 today. So we continue Paul's wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus. So listen carefully, for this is God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on the passage we have today. Oh, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to see this passage for what it is, that we would be encouraged by it, and that we would have a renewed hope in what it is that you have done, are doing, and will do for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is said that we are living in the age of information. According to one study, we, and this is in our leisure time, by the way, So not counting work, we in our leisure time come across 34 gigabytes of data every day. Or to put that in other terms, about 100,000 words worth of data we come across. Enough to fill a moderate sized book of 166 pages. If you include the amount of time and information you take in with work, you can go ahead and double that amount of data. That study was from seven years ago. So you can only imagine that it has increased exponentially since then. We come across more information in a week than our forefathers probably came across in their entire lives. It truly is the age of information. It wasn't but 500 years ago that you could actually know everything that there was to know or it was worth knowing. Now it's impossible to know all that there is to know about even one subject. So while this is called the age of information, you will notice that this is not called the age of wisdom. There is so much data out there that you can find a source or series of sources to back up almost anything that you want to believe at all. Everything from the world being flat to the fact that the government is run by lizard people. This is a real thing I've encountered on the internet. So in this age of information, and there are some data to support that, but in the age of information, we need wisdom. And it's often too hard to sift through all of this data ourselves. So we turn to people that will look at the data for us and interpret it and look to them for wisdom. They come in all shapes and sizes and flavors, from your Anderson Coopers and Rachel Maddows of the world to your Tucker Carlson's, your Sean Hannity's, or if you're a podcaster, your Ben Shapiro's and your Joe Rogan's. We look to them to sort this thing out. But we're not just looking for them to just make sense of the world. What we're looking to them ultimately for is a sense of hope. 
If we know what this information is, if we know where the data is going, perhaps we can have an idea of what to do with it. And maybe we'll be safer and give us a sense of hope. The problem is, is they can't actually give you that. And even if they could, they wouldn't want to. Because if you had hope, well, then you wouldn't have any reason to listen to them anymore. They need you to be in a panic, so you'll keep tuning in or downloading week after week after week. Don't you wish we could just have God sort through all this data for us? Sift through all of this bits of information and tell you what it is that you were exactly that you needed to know? Wouldn't it also be great if God cared about how you felt about that interpretation of data? You want to know what's really important, and do you want to know how to react to this world? Would you like some good news today? Well, buckle up, people, because it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and there is a lot of good news to get out of this passage today. We're going to look at things in two points today. The first is that everything that you need for wisdom is outside of you. It's the first point we're going to look at. And the second point is all hope, real riches, and security comes from God and nowhere else. So let's jump in. Everything that you need for wisdom is outside of you. Here, we get into verse 15, and Paul is saying, for this reason. What reason is Paul talking about? Well, most of the commentators that I have access to anyway, and I agree, are pointing back to what Paul has just been saying. Here Paul is writing this letter to the book of the, to, uh, to, the, to the church of Ephesus. He's been spelling out who he is and why it is that he is so grateful to God. He's just unfolded in verses 3 through 14 all of the blessings that God gives to us basically from each member of the Trinity. Father that has chosen us, the Son who has redeemed us, and the Spirit who has sealed us, all bringing this together. So, because of all that's just come, and then he continues, and because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Notice how Paul emphasizes both. Faith in Jesus is going to manifest as love for the brethren. At the very least. And this love that is used there, this is the highest word for love that is possible in the Greek language, agape. A covenant-keeping love. Or as one commentator put it, a love that doesn't seek to possess, but seeks to give. That's what's being talked about here. And this is what Paul's heard about. This faith and trust in Jesus that the people at Ephesus have discovered and have found in Christ and how that has manifested as love toward one another. And this is a beautiful thing that we need to keep track of. This isn't just Christians being nice to one another. But Christians who are willing to invest in one another. At times even willing to confront one another. So that we can point our, each of us drawing each other towards Christ. That's what the love of the saints looks like. And that's what Paul is commending them. And that's why he is so grateful to them. And this is why Paul in verse 16 goes on, note the pastoral heart here of Paul, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, a sense of gratitude for his people, remembering you in my prayers. And then he goes on into verse 17 and begins to unfold more about what God has been doing for them. Here we've already covered verses 3 through 14 what the Lord has been done, but now he's even going to continue here in verse 17. 
And this is the request and the prayer that Paul has made to the Ephesian believers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Note the Trinity there, all in one verse. Here, Paul is unfolding who this God is. He calls him the Father of glory. We use this term around a lot. And the scholars talk about the, what the, the word glory is the summation of a person's character. The summation of who God is in his attributes. Holiness, justice, righteousness, goodness, truth, all of those things. He is the father of this glory. And that he wants to give us the spirit of wisdom. Now here's where we come to some of our first questions we have about this passage. There are some that would look at this as to whether this is the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself that is being given. Or is this referring to a lowercase spirit of wisdom? We hear things like the spirit of fear or a spirit of jealousy, and obviously that's not the Holy Spirit. So what is it here? Is this the spirit of wisdom, meaning like a a human sense of wisdom, of being able to apply the knowledge that we've been given? Or is this the divine spirit? I think this is the divine spirit because of it's not only the spirit of wisdom, but also the spirit of revelation. And that's not something we can make within ourselves to reveal things that are previously hidden, especially when they've been hidden by God. So I think what he's talking about is this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this interpretation has a question that follows from it. Hasn't the Holy Spirit already been given to believers? We saw that in verse 14, didn't we? That if you have heard the word of truth, believe the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 13 who is the guaranteed of our inheritance. So do we have the Holy Spirit or not? Well, I think what Paul is saying here and what commentators have helped me unravel is that this isn't referring be of giving to the Spirit as a person, but the gifts that the Spirit gives. When you become a Christian, you don't automatically know everything that you need to know about Jesus and about the Christian life. But this is a slow process of learning and unfolding more and more of what God has revealed to you. And that's the Holy Spirit's job, is to teach you all things. What Jesus says back in John, he's going to ascend back up into heaven, that he is going to send the helper, send the Holy Spirit to teach you these things. That's what he's doing here. There's a vast amount of knowledge about God that we need to encounter And instead of just downloading it all into our brains at once, he gives us a sort of heavenly GPS, as it were, to help us navigate through the Bible that we have been given and to show us new things as we go and as we grow in the Spirit. So that's what he gives to us, the Spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. What a great topic to have knowledge about. There are lots of things online that will teach you, that will teach you the supposed secrets to wealth, the secrets to relationships, the secrets and insights to all these things that you can't get anywhere else, except everywhere else on the internet. (laughs) We want knowledge of these things because we can help, because we think that will help us navigate our lives better. If you know how to finally play the stock market, wealth untold will be given to you. If you can figure out how to make your crush like you, well, then you can set up your life to be just the way that you want it to be. But no one else can promise you insight into God himself. 
And that's what the Holy Scriptures are promising to you. That's what Paul is praying for, that the Holy Spirit would help reveal to them is more knowledge of God, the knowledge of him. And you'll notice as he continues into verse 18, it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. This is a passive. What do I mean by passive? Meaning this is something that has been happening to you, not something that you did. Here, we use this term, usually when we hear this term, term enlightenment, we usually think of some sort of Buddhist monk sitting under a tree who's thought and meditated enough about his own navel that the secrets of the universe have been unfolded to him. But that's not where the secrets of the universe are. And while we can laugh at you know, some Eastern notions of those things, we in the West are not a whole lot better. We're obsessed with identity obsessed with knowing who we are, and those biological markers continue to be pulled inward, inward, and inward to where only your own brain can figure out who you are. But that's not where wisdom is found. That's always going to lead us astray. We are born and live and prefer in our natural state darkness. You're never going to find anything in that. But it's the Spirit that brings enlightenment to you. He's the one who turns on the light, not you, the one that produced the light. That's a very different way of walking through life. If you've ever had to navigate your own house when the lights are turned off, even when you're the one that put the furniture where it is, you still manage to bump into it without light. It gets even more fun when you have the kids with the Legos. Every parent remembers the first time they stepped on a Lego, their bare feet. When the light turns on, you're able to dodge these things much more effectively. And it's the same thing with us in our own lives. We think that we see far better than we actually do. We need the light of Scripture to run our own lives. We can't figure this out on our own. Wisdom comes from outside of us. We need the guidance from the Holy Spirit. So if you get anything from this sermon thus far, if you've tuned out at this point, tune back in for me. Here's the point from this first thought that we have gotten is do not assume what you know about life is true. Especially don't assume that what you know about God is true unless you can point to it from the scriptures. This is where wisdom is. It's not from a podcast. It's not from a YouTube video. Heavens, it's not from a Facebook post. It's from the scriptures. And take the time to challenge any notions that you have. When you have a thought come up about how you think you should run your life, ask yourself, where did that come from? Did that come from the scriptures? Or did that come from something I just kind of absorbed as life went on? We can do this all the time. This is especially true in politics. We can conflate our politics with our understanding of Jesus. It's very easy to do. And all sides of the political spectrum can do it. We can conflate our own understanding of how things work in our own country and or our own lives or even our own specific families. It's like, well, we never talked about that because grandma always got upset when we talked about things like that. Challenge everything that you understand. Even the things that I'm saying, check them against Scripture. 
Have a robust study of the Bible for yourself. Because then you'll really believe it. These things will really begin to shape you. So if you get nothing else from that sermon, get this. Wisdom comes from outside of you. And it comes from this book. Not your own intuition. If we would think that an ant would be very arrogant to say, it's like, well, I know everything about how the human brain works. We would assume that ant was very arrogant. But the jump between us to God is much bigger of a jump than between the ant to the human brain. God is everything that we are not. God is not just a bigger version of us. He is fundamentally different. Holy other. So we can't expect to just intuit our way to God. Not only is that arrogant, it's tragic. Because the answer is right here. It's been translated into your language for you. Take up and read and find wisdom. So that's our first approach. Wisdom does not come from you. Wisdom comes from the scriptures. Don't rely on your own intuition. Also remembering that we're sinners too. We don't even approach Jesus neutrally. We come at him with a bias. So keep that in mind too as we approach the scriptures. So that's the first bit, our first point. Here's the second bit, our second point, that all hope Real riches and security comes from God, not from our podcasts. So, as Paul continues in verses 18 and 19, as if it wasn't enough that he is praying that we would understand the gift that we have in the Holy Spirit, that God has given us the heavenly GPS to navigate what we need to know about God, he gives us the top three things we need to know about God and what he's done for us. We all love top three lists, and here's what he's doing. And he introduces each one with a what. So here's, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, he's going to spend a lot more time on that third one specifically, but we'll be looking at that one next week. We'll... And looking at the time, we're probably only going to get to the first one, um, about the hope of his calling. So we're going to ask the question to start with, what is hope? Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you're going to know that the way that the Bible uses hope is very different than the way we tend to use hope. When we talk about hope, it's like, well, I hope that the contractor comes between those hours that he said that he will. Usually that's in the form of a wish, Usually I wish that is a very small chance of happening. We hope that this will work out. This is a wish. But that's not how it's used in the Bible. The way that it's used in the Bible, we can see from the Scripture. So let's turn there. Let's turn with me to Romans chapter 8 for me. Romans chapter 8, follow along. As we'll see about hope. The way the scriptures uses hope is in, means a full assurance, confidence in what's going to happen. So let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. We're, gonna kinda, we're, we're getting context as we move into this particular thought on hope. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is Paul saying here? Here, Paul is talking about that there he has a hope, assurance, that all things are going to work out for God's glory, as we'll see in verse 28 if we were to continue reading. But notice how he uses the word hope in verse 20. Here he's talking about the creation has been subjected to futility, meaning there's been a curse that's been put upon the world because of sin. And this is, it says, because of him who subjected it, who on earth could subject creation other than God? He's the one that's done it. And notice it says, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. Does God wish that things will happen? Of course not. He subjected creation in confidence that he's going to be the one that's going to set it free. That is how the scriptures use this term, hope. This is a full assurance because God hopes. God is fully confident, as we see in Romans 8. Now, back to Ephesians. Turn back there to Ephesians chapter 1. Here we find what is this hope. It says that you may know what is the hope or confidence to which he has called you. Hope in his calling. What is the calling of God? It's the calling to salvation. Calling to hope in heaven forever. That's an amazing promise that he's given to you. What is it that's stressing you out today? You're all adults. It's probably a list. Even our students, filled with anxieties, starts early. But whatever this is, whether it's your health, whether it's your job, or your marriage, or just a loose end in life that you just want to see how this one's going to turn out. And I know, and I can speak from this personally, there are a lot of people that would just love to know, well, if I could just find out how this thing is going to turn out, then I will have some peace. If I just know how this job will turn out, or just get this diagnosis, or just get my kid through college, or just get to this wedding, whatever it is that we're concerned about, even if we were to be told this is how this situation is going to end up, that wouldn't give us hope for very long. And if it does, that just means you don't have an imagination or familiarity with statistics. The thing that gives us hope is to keep our eyes fixed on the hope of our calling. What is going to be for the future? God has told you the ultimate end of the story. Might not have given you every wrap-up for every loose end that you're going to encounter, but you know how this thing is going to end. Ever go to a movie that's a thriller, and you're watching a guy trying to run towards this door as it's closing? And the first time you're watching it, your back's getting tight. It's like, oh, I don't know if he's going to make that. Well, by the time you've seen the movie a couple of times, you don't notice that anymore. Now you're noticing it's like, hey, I think I see, a, I think I see someone drinking coffee there in the background. You start noticing the flaws in the movie. You're not even focused on what's happening on the action anymore because you know how it's going to end. God's given us the end of the movie. It really is going to be okay in the end. Jesus rose from the dead, and so will you if you're in Christ. There is heaven 
awaiting. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the end of the movie. All things are recreated. And it's happily ever after. That's the facts. And Jesus wants you to feel that. Commentators took a look at how this language is done. The word that's used there for hope, notice that hope is not the end of in itself. You're not hoping in hope. You're not confident in confidence. This isn't the power of faith or the power of positive thinking to get you through. This is a hope that is based in the calling that God has given to you. That your sins can be forgiven and that heaven awaits. That's what gives us feelings of confidence. It's not just enough just to know. Do you believe this? Does it make a difference in how you live? We all know that we should exercise. But the people who believe it show up in the gym. The folks who believe that they need to do this out of the other make a change in what they're doing. It's been said that the first time when the technology of motion pictures was first debuted, one of the first movies that they showed, and they got a bunch of people in the seats in a theater, and it was footage of a train coming directly at the camera. And the first audiences that saw that all ran out of the theater because they thought it was an actual train coming at them. They believed that they were in danger and took steps to get out of the way. Those that knew it was just a picture didn't make any moves at all. That's the same thing for us. Do you believe that this is the end of the story? Do you have that confidence? This doesn't mean that we are never sad. Jesus himself cried on many occasions, actually. This doesn't mean that we're not sad. But it does mean that there is joy through those tears. It's not ultimate. Suffering is not the end of the story. It's pain with knowledge that it won't last. It's death knowing that there is resurrection. So practically, how do you develop confidence in God? Well, believe it or not, the scriptures tell you. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5. Paul deals with this specifically. Here, to get the context, Paul is unfolding an argument for the gospel. It's just finished in Romans chapter 4, showing that even Abraham was justified by faith, meaning it's not working your, your way to heaven, not in trying to impress God so much that he lets you into heaven, because that's impossible. It's this gift of faith that he's been given. So Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, there's that word again, in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings. How can Paul say that? Is Paul just strange with suffering, likes pain? No. He goes on. But we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's Paul saying here? The way that our confidence is developed is the same way that the world tries to destroy it, through our suffering, through hard times. If we keep our eyes fixed on God, whatever that is, through whatever it is that we're going through, this will produce endurance, which will produce character, which will produce hope. We don't have to be afraid of the hard things in our lives, but we can use those very things to give us that hope. Might I suggest as a real practical way of doing this, when you're going through hard times, journal what's happening. Write it down. Put a date on it. And so often you will see the Lord work through the very thing that you were concerned about. We forget very easily our lives. In fact, it's been said in some studies that the brain suppresses almost 90% of the negative things that happen to us. They're unpleasant to think about. But when we record those things of what we've been going through, what we've been feeling, being honest about them, not trying to write them as we would like us to have been perceiving these problems, but how we actually are perceiving them. And then when we get to the other side, we'll see just what Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that all things have worked together for God's good. It might not be one page over we see it. It might be a couple volumes of journals later that we'll see it. but we know that we can have hope because that's what the scriptures say. No matter what it is that we feel, remember, wisdom comes from outside of us. Wisdom comes from the Spirit. Wisdom comes from this book. That's how we navigate this world. That's where we find what wisdom is. So what's our application? What's our takeaway from this? Seek wisdom from God's word. Because that is the place of hope. You're never going to find it from whatever TV or podcast personality that we listen to. But it can only be found in God's word. So keep in mind how much of each thing you're consuming. If we spend all of our time listening to the merchants of anger, as someone put it, on our podcasts and our television shows... It would be no wonder that we don't have a whole lot of hope if we're ignoring the source of that. We forget things very easily. We live trapped in this time, and we're not able to see the end from our point of view, not without some help. So if you're going through something rough, dig in here to the scriptures. I know it's difficult sometimes to do. And that when we're having troubles, the thing that I like to do oftentimes is to just distract myself. Just try to wait out whatever trouble it is. That's not what produces character. Stay focused on God through that process. And then you will have a greater hope that will help you get through the next one. If you just distract yourself through the problem that you have, that's not giving you hope for what's coming next. 
Because there is more coming next. It's not going to slow down in two weeks. No matter how much we tell ourselves that. Life will get more difficult. But that will help us see God better. It will help us have greater and deeper hope. And that's what's going to give us confidence. That can only be found in a God who's mighty to save. Now, if you're sitting here and saying, you know what? I don't know that I've ever experienced that hope. Life has always been from one trouble to the next, and I find I'm just trying to just aimlessly get through life and step on to whatever Legos come my way. If that's the case, then it might be that you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I'm not saying that if you come to Jesus, all your problems in life will go away. That's not true. Anyone who tells you that is a liar and has never read the New Testament. But what Jesus will give you is will give you the context of what your suffering is going to be in. That what you're going through is not meaningless. And that what you're going through doesn't have to produce despair. But even the suffering can produce hope knowing that one day it will come to an end. But if you don't have your faith in Jesus, if you haven't trusted him and surrendered your life to him, if you've not turned from your sins and turned to Christ, then this is good as, your, as life, as existence will ever be for you. When we get to the end, it won't be good news. Hell awaits those that haven't put their trust in Christ. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can come to Christ and have hope today for a glorious future tomorrow. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this passage, and I pray that you would help us to meditate on it, that we would be reminded of it as more and more things come to try to upend our faith. I pray that as we listen to the news, that we would listen to it remembering what's true in your word. We do live in a world where Revelation 21 is true. We do live in a world where there is resurrection from the dead. And I pray that you would help us keep that before our eyes at all times, that we might begin to enjoy heaven even now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.